Welcome to Stories of Emotional Granularity, a podcast about the experience of emotion told from the human perspective. My name is Jonathan Cook. I'm an independent research consultant who specializes in listening to the ways that people talk about their feelings. That's not the only way to study emotion, but I think it's an important approach. There's a great deal to say about the power of listening to people. And you will hear themes of that later in this episode and throughout the many coming episodes of this podcast. Is it too much for me to ask you to have patience with that? Sometimes, just by conspicuously delaying the revelation of a piece of information, we can provoke that emotion that is the subject of the podcast this week. This episode focuses on the emotion of curiosity. You may wonder at me describing curiosity as an emotion. After all, curiosity is associated with the pursuit of knowledge. It's a characteristic of intellectual people who are practiced in the application of rational thought. Rationality, however, is distinct from curiosity. Rationality is a set of cognitive tools, but curiosity is the emotion that motivates the application of rationality. We don't solve problems only when it's practical to do so. We also solve problems when our curiosity is aroused. Most people have an innate interest in unusual ideas or puzzling circumstances. The drive to learn more about such things is the emotion of curiosity. The fascinating thing about curiosity is that it's a dynamic emotion that begins in a position of ignorance, but is not content with the lack of knowledge. Curiosity is the hunger to see what has not been seen, to know what has been unknown. In order to understand a little something about the ways that curiosity can work in our favor, I want to introduce you to Dr. Michelle Maidenberg, Dr. Maidenberg is a psychotherapist, but she is much, much more than that. I'm a private practitioner in Harrison, New York, which is part of Westchester County. So I do CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, which is ACT, um, which is a more mindfulness-based mindfulness CBT. I also do something called EMDR, which is Eye Movements Desensitization Reprocessing. And then, uh, and that's, I mean, it's form, it's typically known for trauma, but I use it for all different kinds of things, stuckness and, you know, so all different kinds of things. Um, and then I do use a lot of mindfulness and polyvagal theory in my practice too. So it, it really depends on the person I'm working with, you know, what type of treatment that I, I specifically use. Um, I also have a nonprofit, which is called Through My Eyes, T-H-R-U. And it offers free clinically guided videotaping for chronically medically ill individuals who want to leave a video legacy for their children and loved ones. So I do that as well. And then I teach a graduate course at NYU, a mindfulness-based graduate course. And then I also have, I authored two books. The first book is Free Your Child from Overeating, and it's um, 53 Mind-Body Strategies for Lifelong Health. 
And then my most recent book, which was just published, is this. <laughs> it's called um, Ace Your Life, um, Unleash Your Best Self and Live the Life You Want. As you can hear, Dr. Maidenberg has achieved quite a bit. You haven't heard all of her accomplishments yet either. I have a blog on psychology today. So I write articles on a variety of different topics from self-help to mindfulness, to parenting, to, you know, advocacy work that I do. I mean, it really runs the gamut. Like just this past week, for example, I wrote an article on uh, youth suicidality and um, fentanyl poisoning because I just had just so many clients reaching out, both that are directly affected and indirectly affected, you know, by these you know, particular challenges. And then I have a YouTube channel where I offer weekly free guided meditations. As I listen to Dr. Maidenberg, I find myself wondering where she finds the energy to do it all. It's not a simple matter of physics, of course, with calories and oxygen fueling her mind to a high capacity. Instead, she also exhibits a kind of resolve an emotional drive that moves her work forward. It would be an unfair simplification to attribute Dr. Maidenberg's success to any single motivation. However, curiosity is clearly one factor that contributes to her professional activity. As luck would have it, curiosity is also one of the subjects of her work. A lot of the premise of my book is around curiosity. I think that if we lived perpetually in a state of curiosity, our interactions with others would be substantially different. <laughs> um, we'd ask a lot of questions rather than assuming and judging. I really love to embody curiosity. I think it's like a wonderful way to live, you know, in general. So I always talk about that, like when people have judgments, you know, to really say, hmm, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. But, you know, how else can I see this? So to ask yourself that question, or if you're having, you know, a thought or feeling about something or somebody else's, like to really be curious about it. And curiosity leads to reflection. It leads to acknowledgement. It leads to reflection. It leads to eventually compassion, you know, really being self-compassionate and then hopefully empowering yourself to take action on behalf of your dignity and integrity. So I am a big fan of curiosity. Um, so if you see somebody behaving in a certain way, right, our first prompt is to judge them or negatively evaluate them. Uh, so I always say, you know, ask a question, like what prompted you to react that way? Or where was that coming from for you? Or why do you think you feel that way? Or whatever it is, because it really gets to a deeper space with somebody, you know, when you pose questions and it's trying to understand them at their core, you know, who they are what they're all about, what's meaningful to them. And those things are so critical because human beings are just fascinating, you know? And when you take things on the surface, you miss out on such deep connection. The drive of curiosity is not just a matter of data collection. It's an appetite for meaning. When we're feeling curious, we want to know about our place in the larger scheme of things. In this sense, curiosity is connected to our hunger for human connection. We can form better relationships with other people when we are willing to consider how things might seem from their points of view. 
When we come to see the way that other people feel, we also get a lay of the land for ourselves. Dr. Maidenberg contrasts curiosity with the impulse to pass judgment. Judgment finds clarity from the available facts, but does so in a way that distances us from the people around us. My daughter, for example, she's 14, right? She said something to me that I felt was, you know, sort of not exactly respectful. And she's generally a very respectful kid, like most of the time, like, you know, I would say majority of the time. So, you know, my first gut reaction was like, oh my goodness, how did you say that? And, you know, to like, obviously punish her, whatever the case was. And then I took a step back and I said, hmm, like, where did that come from? You know, what was that for her? And why did that come up? And, you know, what's going on for her? So I, of course, I corrected the behavior and expressed how I felt about the behavior, which was fine. But then I really took a moment and I said, I think this is something we need to talk about. Um, do you feel like this is a good time? Could you be open and curious and flexible like right now? And she said, no, you know, she was kind of frustrated and whatever. So I said, well, okay, that's fine. But like, I really want to be curious about this. Like, I really want to understand like what you were thinking or why you felt that way. I'm open to hearing anything that you have to express. You know, we did kind of circle back to each other and wow, I heard things that I completely missed the mark and I didn't know was going on going through her mind. And if I didn't ask the question and I wasn't curious about it, I never would have gotten to that level, that kind of deep level of understanding of her needs and her thoughts if I didn't have that follow up conversation with her. I was thinking, why did this affect my nervous system in the way that it did? Like what is happening? My heart rate is speeding up. I'm feeling tense, like I feel like this sense of like, you know, anger and rage in my body, you know, and then I had to take a step back and I had to say, what is going on for me? Like, why, why is my shield up? And then I realized, oh, you know what it is? I'm feeling rejected right now. So I was feeling rejected, which made me sad and disappointed and angry and frustrated, right? And then I automatically went into a protective space, which was very fear, right? Oh my goodness, my daughter doesn't respect me. Oh my goodness, she's going to do this again or whatever it was. I need to make sure that I correct this so that it doesn't happen again or else it, I'm not a good parent, you know, whatever goes through our minds. And then when I was able to recognize that all of those fears were coming up, based on the rejection I felt, then I was able to attune to her so that I could have a connection with her. And guess what? It's a lot more likely that she doesn't repeat the behavior if I attune to her than if I misunderstand her. Dr. Maidenberg has had professional training, and yet her initial judgments still often miss the mark. That isn't a special failing of hers. Human beings are complex and difficult to understand. Often we struggle even to understand ourselves. That can feel unsettling, especially when our relationships seem to be crumbling. It's striking to me that in Dr. Maidenberg's curious moment with her daughter, the two of them were equals there is something within the feeling of curiosity that asks us to put our education, our accomplishments, our status, and our skills aside, and to be present to what the moment can teach us. There's no such thing as arrogant curiosity. A curious person is not like Sherlock Holmes, eager to show off, 
the clever ability to be one step ahead of everybody else. There is a courage to curiosity, though. It's a courage to resist the temptation to commit to the easy judgments that we make about other people when we're feeling hurt or frightened. The courage of curiosity is to avoid immediately retreating into the safe and familiar haunts and habits that we have, and instead attempt to learn something new about the world, about other people, and about ourselves. Curiosity has the power to provoke dramatic changes of perspective, and such was the case with Dr. Melissa Green. I um, am a clinical psychologist. I've been working in the mental health field for 25 years. This year is my 25th year, uh, which seems unbelievable. Um, I've worked in various subfields of psychology. So I started out as a school psychologist doing testing for special education consideration for children who were having difficulties in the classroom. And I did that for about eight years in different places. And then I went to work um, with the military. So I did a lot of uh, combat trauma therapy. I worked on a military installation for about five years. And after that, I went into forensics. I worked in a psychiatric hospital. And my primary role was Uh, doing competency to stand trial evaluations for people who had been arrested and charged with a crime but were deemed mentally incompetent to proceed with uh, through the legal system so they would come to the hospital for treatment and then I would evaluate them afterwards and often testify to their competency in courts. But more recently, I've been focusing my work on brain health, healthy aging, dementia caregiver support. Sometimes, emotion is defined metaphorically as an impetus to motion, a psychological drive that shifts people from abstract thinking into action. In Dr. Green's case, the emotion of curiosity has literally moved her all around the world, from the small town in Georgia where she grew up, to the nation's capital, to England, to Hawaii, and beyond. So there's a sub-area of psychology called positive psychology that really focuses on helping people to flourish and bloom and become more engaged in life, not just um, how psychology traditionally has focused on psychopathology and you know, dealing with problems and getting people back to their baseline, but it's focusing on helping people to go beyond their baseline. And the research talks about identifying what they call character strengths. And my top character strength is curiosity. So that's what resonated with me when I when I saw that. And there's an assessment that you can do online that will help you identify. So there are 24 character strengths and uh, you can take this assessment and it will it will rank them. And there's a brief one that I think that will give you your top five. But the first time I 
took this quiz, maybe it was 2017. Cur Since then, curiosity has been in my top five, and I did it again back in November, and it was the top, it was my top strength. And so in positive psychology, they say that you really should use those character strengths to, to build on your relationships, just to have more meaningful relationships and encounters with people, to build on your career. I'm from a small town in Georgia, and I went to college in Washington, D.C. I'd never been there before. I'd only, you know, read things about it, and I just knew that that's where I needed to go. I had a cousin who was there who was a couple of years older than me, and my circle, my family, I should say, was not really the type of family that ventured out much beyond, you know, their our community from a small town so that I think that was the first time that my curiosity was piqued and I felt like I really had to just go and explore it gave me that confidence to be able to continue to just go out and explore the world um, which is something that I, I kind of had the desire to but it wasn't fed from my family when I was in college uh, my my brother was have a lot of older siblings and my brother was in the Air Force and he was he was stationed in in England while I was in um, college and he invited me to come stay there um, over the summer after my sophomore year so I me never leaving the country before knowing that I was gonna have to fly there by myself I was like yep sign me up so I did it <laughs> Spent 14 weeks, I believe, um, in England with my brother and his wife and their their kids. And again, it opened my world up to new experiences, new people. And I've just been curious since then. I've, um, I've had these experiences that have been, or these opportunities rather, that have been presented to me. And usually when it happens, I just feel compelled to to respond or to to act on it um, and I'm not I wouldn't even describe myself as an impulsive person um, I'm very detail oriented so um, even though I, I said yes to these things I really thought about the pros and cons and you know any issues that might come up curiosity feeds on itself Dr. Green's curiosity began with places, but as she began to move through the world, she became curious about the people and cultures she encountered through her travels. I'm very curious about different cultures, and I feel like as a psychologist, in order to be a good psychologist, you have to be able to suspend your judgment. I mean, we all judge to some degree um, when you're working with someone um, and the more that you know about different people's experiences, different cultures, people from different geographic locations, the easier it is for you to um, have empathy and compassion for the person and really try to understand things from their perspective, even if you don't agree because you don't have to agree, but uh, it is my job to try to understand how people have come to the place that they are from their perspective as much as I can. And I think traveling and living in different places forces you to 
be more flexible in your thinking and more flexible in your approach to life. Dr. Green's curiosity encouraged her to cultivate empathy with different kinds of people. Feeling curious means being willing to try to understand what's happening in unfamiliar places with people who have other perspectives. Inherent in curiosity is a willingness to entertain the idea that there are other ways to experience the world than the habits of one's own community of origin. Adam Baru shows us another aspect of the power of curiosity. Like Dr. Maidenberg, Adam is a professional with a good deal of expertise. He isn't a psychologist, though. He's a specialist in providing NetSuite solutions. Well, I'm Adam Baru. I'm kind of a serial entrepreneur. For the last six years, I've been running a consulting agency called SuiteCentric, which is a NetSuite solution provider and implementer. Kind of, you know, the, my career over the last 17 years has really been kind of focused around the NetSuite platform. And then in 2021, kind of following a, a very kind of personal self-awareness discovery, um, kind of that was, you know, dealing with a lot of kind of anxiety and some mental health issues and just running my company and the stress and anxiety behind that kind of had a journey of, of self-discovery and got into, you know, out of that kind of manifested a podcast that I, you know, started hosting called The Change, which is uh, about servant leadership and mental health around in business. I've got to be honest with you here. I have no idea what a NetSuite solution is. I don't even know what a NetSuite problem is. Adam does, though, and he has managed to put together a career dealing with these sorts of things. He's a very intelligent guy. That doesn't mean that Adam doesn't have problems. He is a human being. He's leading a complex life, and straightforward professional functioning isn't enough to get by sometimes. We're going to meet Adam again in other episodes of this podcast and learn more about his specific struggles then. For now, it's enough to say that Adam has struggled with anxiety and other mental health issues. For a long while, he worked to get things done by pushing his feelings off to the side. In recent years, however, Adam has taken a different approach, choosing to examine his negative experiences to see what they might have to teach him. Adam has learned to be curious about himself. I'm more just now curious about, like I have a curiosity that I don't think was there before, you know, to, to just say like, huh, that's interesting. Like, this is really interesting that I'm going through this. What's the lesson there? How... Like why why did these kind of some somewhat crappy experiences keep looping in my life? You know, well, it's probably because I haven't learned the lesson yet. And so let's find out what the lesson is and 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 hopefully now kind of get ahead of this with at least a perspective of like, huh, all right. Thank you for the lesson, as crappy as it was, but I'm now here to be the student and learn, right? And share and and help help others through what I'm learning. To a person focused on efficiency and productivity, Adam's introspection might seem like a waste of time, 
and a drag on his business. All the spreadsheets and calendars and project management apps in the world, however, can't keep a person on task when they're feeling miserable. So Adam took the time to ask himself why he was feeling so miserable. It took a lot of effort and time, but considering his own problems with a curious mindset, Adam discovered some ways to deal with his emotional barriers, and he has learned more about how to manage himself in a sustainable, healthy way. In the end, he brings a better version of himself to his business because of that effort. People are not simple machines that only need energy and routine maintenance to keep functioning. We are organisms with strange and subtle minds, and we rarely arrive at a destination by the shortest possible route. We are distractible, in part because our curiosity draws us to pay attention to subjects even when we don't know exactly how we're going to use what we learn. Adam's career path illustrates this curious approach to life. I mean, I learned a lot of great skills in like the National Park Service job that I had, which was the absolute best job I've ever had because I was studying geographic information systems at San Francisco State in my degree program. And then I was able to apply that in my role as a biological science technician with the Park Service doing like map it. Like I worked in this office where the people that I worked with removing all this like, you know, non-native plant vegetation in the Marin headlands to like, it was all about restoring habitat for the California, the endangered California monarch butterfly, right? So ultimately, you know, I brought that GIS skill set that I was learning in college into this job and then doing all this, all, all these computer related skills and database type of stuff, which literally I, I attribute to the work I'm doing today in e-commerce and as in, in my NetSuite work and in software development in general, like it was going back to that experience in the National Park Service, getting my getting my feet wet with learning databases and geography and, and how geographic information related to data and stuff like that. So it it all lines up. Looking back, Adam can say that his career all lines up. But if a person had to design a professional path to becoming a consultant in e-commerce, it is unlikely that they would take a job with the National Park Service, contributing to efforts to remove non-native invasive species along the California coast as one rung along that ladder. Adam's goal at the time wasn't to work with geographic information databases, but he was curious and interested in learning new skills. Curiosity often yields indirect rewards in this way. Because a curious mind is a flexible mind, open to unexpected discoveries, curiosity often leads people in the direction of solutions to problems that they had not even considered. I learned about another unconventional career path in conversation with Kristen Donnelly, who studied anthropology and sociology and began her professional life as a social worker, but now leads a network of family-owned companies. 
My name is Kristen, and I live outside of Philadelphia with my husband and our piles of books and lots of video game consoles. And the animating feature of my life is to help people understand themselves and others better, to learn to ask more questions, to make less assumptions, which I firmly believe based on personal experience, academic research, and gut reactions will lead to a more cohesive society. I make my living through being a second-generation business co-owner. My brother and I took over our father's network of companies that he built. We took it over a couple of years ago. And the mission statement of my family is to impact lives and create holistic wealth. And I do that through a division of the company called Abbey Research, where we train and provide resources around helping people ask more questions and make less assumptions within their organizations. Kristen could choose to concentrate on the narrow, specific management tasks that are required for her to run her family's network of businesses. If she took that approach, however, Kristen might have a difficult time adapting to unforeseen challenges. Instead, she chooses the path of open curiosity, surrounding herself with piles of books and learning how to ask more questions. I don't think I have an operational definition of curiosity. We probably should get one. But in my mind, it's just asking what if. I still see myself fundamentally as a social worker. And what social work taught me is that there's always questions behind the answers. And being then a researcher, I have two other research degrees in anthropology and sociology. And they taught me that the best questions are the smallest ones that lead to more questions. And so like research projects can't be like giant amorphous, like I want to study everything. The best research questions are what will this society of people look like from this date to this date? And then that leads to, okay, why did this person do this? And why did this person do this? Essentially, academia is formalized curiosity. Curiosity is the driving force of everything, especially and good business, honestly. It's the thing that not enough people talk about in, in corporations and business. Curiosity is the driving force. So if you are, if you cultivate your curiosity about people, you will automatically ask better questions. Looking at the numbers and saying, man, there's a real dip with this customer. Do we know why? That's curiosity. That's curiosity. I don't know a single business person that goes through their day without asking at least one curious question. You have to. Why does this work like that? What is that smell? Why is the toilet clogged? Why is this customer being an ass on the phone? There's like, anytime you ask why, that's curiosity. Again and again, Kristen focuses on the language of curiosity. A curious mind doesn't make statements. A curious mind asks questions. A question is the voice of curiosity because a question begins with the admission of ignorance. A question is the opposite of a point of data or an exclamation of definite knowledge. A question is a wandering path with a destination that no one can be sure of. A question is a quest of discovery, a quest that may transform the person who follows where it leads. Now, Kristen observes that Asking curious questions is essential for people working in business. A curious question is the opening gambit in a larger project to adapt a business. 
to changing circumstances. Curious questions don't simply pop into existence out of nowhere, however. So where do curious questions come from then? Cheslin Pierre-Paul, also known as Chess, has one idea about this. They propose that curiosity emerges in the confluence of diverse cultures. Now, Chess was born in Canada, but their parents had come to Canada from Haiti as political refugees. Chess had a cultural background unlike that of many of her peers, but they encountered that difference as a kind of doorway through which they could explore their curiosity. Embracing diversity has become a personal and professional signature for Chess, something that they express in the possibility contained in the word paradox. I see myself as somebody who bridges a lot of spaces that have the potential for great impact, but historically, because of different systemic reasons, they don't come together. So I help them debunk those limitations and misconceptions. And I do it you know, under the umbrella of justice, equity, diversity, inclusion. That's my work. That's where I do consulting. But that to me is just one version of the paradox that I embrace. So I, I feel like that word paradox, you know, represents me very well, what I do, what I stand for, and how I choose to enforce possibilities in spaces where, you know, we're told it's impossible or it cannot be done. Chess works as a consultant in diversity, equity, and inclusion for corporate clients. They suggest that curiosity is kindled from encounters with difference. After all, there could be nothing to be curious about, nothing to question, if every place and every person were the same. I feel that I've, it started with my curiosity, but also the way that I was raised. So I come from a very highly political family. As I was telling you before, my parents are political refugees. They're activists and they have their own journey, right? That led me to being here. It's, it's interesting to see how even before my parents were able to share some of their story with me, um, the way that they raised me, it already conditioned me for it. So when I was uh, a young teen, I ended up working with Amnesty International and they help a lot of political prisoners. And it's only after that, when I became a young adult, that my parents sat me down and told me that's actually how they got into the country. So even before I knew it, I lived it because of how they raised me and it opened up a lot of connections in my mind, right? So oftentimes by virtue of being a minority and dominant spaces where not represented, you learn how to navigate different ecosystems. I'm born here in a French speaking country and uh, that's not necessarily the language that I grew up with. So French was my second language. So I was already in a space where you navigate culture languages, right? So you make connections growing up. And then I decided to put myself to English school when I went to college because I felt that I needed to explore more. So for me, my pathway to doing the work that I do started always with curiosity and also always having that instinct towards basically being one of the only few in many classrooms that I was in, right? The only visible minority, the only this, the only that, right? So it felt like there's so much potential and innovation happening in all those communities, but they're not talking to each other. 
And part of that is because literally they don't speak the same languages, but even when they talk about the same topic, they come at it from a very different perspective. So for me, language helped me have access to more rooms. And then it became very apparent to me that it was a pattern there, that it's not incidental then in specific Spanish speaking conferences, we only cover certain elements, singles for Italian, singles for everybody else. So me having access to that, what do I do with that information? I'm not just going to sit on it. So um, my curiosity led me then to hosting events and reaching out to people from those different linguistic communities and sharing the, you know, what I've learned about other events and conferences. So that's where my cross-cultural awareness started helping me develop a business mindset and vision. There is an opportunity to create true business opportunities out of being a polyglot. Chess makes a strong case that diversity is not just something that businesses have to come to terms with. Diversity is an engine of business growth that drives curiosity, thereby enabling the identification of economic opportunities. Bhavik Joshi is another person who brings curiosity to the business world, both in his capacity as a creative individual and in his role working at a firm named Curiosity. My name is Bhavik. I am currently the Vice President of Strategy at an ad agency called Curiosity in Cincinnati, Ohio. I have been doing some version of human understanding and human-centered brand building for about 19, 20 years of my life. The first six years were on the client side. I was a brand manager. And uh, since then, since I've moved to the U.S., it has all been on the agency side, or as I like to call it, the dark side, uh, <laughs> just to give myself some thrills. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been a great adventure. One of the things I love, uh, which I think, you know, something that we might touch upon today is this idea of working on different challenges, different categories, different brands, trying to appeal to completely different consumer cohorts. And I think that's the exciting part of being on the agency side, that no two days feel like the same. I was as intrigued as you were, uh, you know, when I found out about this agency. It's been in Cincinnati for a while. And one of the things that is appealing about it is this aspect of uh, questioning everything. And that's an integral part of our five values. Questioning everything can sometimes feel like nagging, right? But what it really is based on is this idea of getting to the root of the matter, getting to try and get to the root of the problem, as I said, right? Not to take the challenges at face value, but to also keep asking questions until you feel like you have looked at the problem for, from multiple different angles and have found perhaps the most interesting way to go at it. Once again, the idea of questions emerges. Bavik describes a question as a tool for looking. Ask different questions and soon you will see things from multiple angles. Review the work of the Curiosity Agency, and you'll quickly come across this dictum. Question the unquestionable. Now, questioning sounds easy to do until you begin to encounter its consequences. A curious mind quickly 
comes across tests of courage that require letting go of attachment to old ideas before new ideas are fully within grasp. Bavik describes this process as like soaring in empty space between two vines. I think there is a difficulty associated in that experience and feeling, which I really like. And and from having done this for a number of years, I realized that the species of strategists, truly good, you know, problem solving, creative brand strategists also really love that degree of difficulty in that moment. It kind of feels like letting go of like one vine of knowledge and leaping towards another and that midair moment when you don't know if you're going to make it or not. It's thrilling. It's exhilarating. It's also scary. But I think there's something in there where if you kind of relish that moment of, oh, this is a new space that we haven't been in before. And this is also calling us to do something differently that we haven't done before. There's some difficulty in that, as I mentioned, but I think it's a forward momentum difficulty. It kind of makes you want to do things differently or take a different path, you know, kind of contort your body in a way like a cat that you make it to that next vine. When the call of curiosity is followed, comfort is left behind. Bavik warns that the way is difficult, requiring us to contort ourselves in a frightening process, putting ourselves at risk, doing something that hasn't been done before. Curiosity calls upon us to do the opposite of what is predictable to abandon the formulas of the path of least resistance. Every single challenge that a client presents us, every, you know, project, every brand comes with that temptation. You know, there is the temptation of someone must have done this before, right? Or, you know, I think I've solved a similar challenge in the past for another brand in another category. And this is kind of sort of the formula that we adopted for it. Not that there is a formula, but this is kind of the way we solved it. Perhaps we can apply that here. I think that temptation is always there. Within the constraints of time and budgets and everything, I'm sure it's also easy to want to reach for those closer binds, as you as you put them. I, I think it inhibits growth. I think one of the most important aspects of being a creative brand strategist is I often say it's not about connecting the dots. It's about seeing interesting shapes in the spaces between the dots. And if you perhaps only chose those paths of least resistance or the paths that were closer to you, the the closer vines, what you're preventing yourself from doing is seeing those interesting shapes. As Bavik warns, It is tempting to merely study what's already been done and just repeat that as if we're computer routines working on autopilot. That kind of safe, predictable approach is missing the thrill of sailing through midair, though. If we are not willing to contort ourselves like cats, we're never going to attain the flexibility of cats. And yes, folk wisdom also warns us that curiosity killed the cat. But hey, who wants to live forever? The curious mind isn't necessarily reckless, but it concerns itself less with risks than the comfortable mind does. 
resisting difficult things just because they are difficult is detrimental to our our growth in knowledge and thinking and and in anything as well you know if we only did the easy things if we only did the things that were convenient to us and only accessed those avenues of knowledge and information i believe it would be detrimental to our growth our learning our our consciousness our experiences as well i think there are a couple of things that work in the favor of the already curious one is i think there's a a way of looking at the world that requires you to form or requires you to make sense of it by running it through other lenses of knowledge right so metaphors and analogies punchlines of jokes that you've heard before you know dramatic movie scenes you know like when you start to look at all this information that this world and the life gives us and take it beyond the rational and add some some dramatic analysis to it based on your lived experiences and the books you consume and the music you listen to and things like that the world becomes more interesting in general i would say being a curious individual is a full contact sport it requires you to put your body mind heart and soul on the line it requires you to stand in front of majestic things and ponder your insignificance and ponder what it means to be in this perspective of deep time you may have heard of the phrase idle curiosity that is not what bavik is talking about here he's talking about a feeling that drives growth but does so by putting itself on the line. The defining characteristic of curiosity is not mere interest. Curiosity is an itch that needs to be scratched. It is drawn toward mysteries and paradoxes. The threshold of curiosity is what's sufficient to move us into action, to get to work, to struggle, to suffer enough to satisfy the interest that has been awakened within us. Idle curiosity is failed curiosity. I wonder if in our pursuit of painless, seamless, frictionless information, you know, and, you know, almost like timeless, but which I don't mean enduring, but I mean, that doesn't take time. You can quickly find it. If it gives us, the false assurance maybe and and perhaps i should put false in parentheses but the assurance that what i found in this manner is perhaps truer or just as true as what i would have found if i had gone through the path that perhaps involved a little more hard work a little more pain a little more digging maybe a little more time uh, and i think when we start doing this at such a massive scale when everybody starts doing it at such a massive scale it's easy to say that the lived experience that we're having right now of standing in front of a problem and thinking about it is not an important aspect of problem solving only the pursuit of answers is the important aspect but i think the the advantage that that lived experience can bring is to lend a human reality of experiences to that mid-air feeling, which I think is important. It leads to interesting answers.
And I think all of those actions of jumping into a painful problem and still solving it and trying to emerge on the other side. And sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have to come back out and go back in again with new sets of weapons and armory. But I feel like there is growth there. I think you learn more. You learn more about your strengths and your skills, and you learn more about the context of the problem. You learn more about the people that you're solving that problem for as well. I think, I, yeah, I think that's the neglected power of pain. I think <laughs> that it could it could really grow you. It could grow your your knowledge in that sense. Pain, fear, loss, and defeat are just a few of the possible consequences of curiosity. Yet, Bavik warns us that without taking these risks, we surrender the potential for growth. Friction can wear us down, but without friction, we can't move forward. Well, what if it didn't have to be that way? What if... Someone came along and offered to fetch all the solutions for you so that you didn't have to bother with venturing down a long path of discovery, muddling through a creative process, confronting troubling questions, encountering different places and people, and putting your own comfort at risk. Would you accept that offer? In next week's full episode we will consider the inspiring emotion of Yugen. That's going to be really fun. But in between now and then, there are some important issues that we need to talk about. Issues that have been raised by the guests in this week's episode. And um, there's so much that needs to be talked about um, that I'm going to be releasing a bonus episode about that. We live in special times in which new technologies threaten the survival of curiosity as we know it, in which the very existence of our emotional lives is being called into question. So, in just a couple of days, you'll hear an extension of the ideas that people have brought up here in this episode. Let's give that discussion the time and space that it needs. Until then... Thank you for listening in.